You're listening to Tone Benders, the sound designer's podcast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Tone Benders. My name is Timothy Meerhead and I will be your host for today. In 1998, I went to film school in Toronto, and part of the program was the expectation that all the students go to as many films as possible during the Toronto International Film Festival. That year, I saw 35 films in just 10 days. I saw films from Hungary, Iceland, Russia, Iran. I also saw documentaries that were inspiring and ones that were predicting impending doom days. But my favorite film I saw that year was the premiere of Wes Anderson's Rushmore. It was amazing. In fact, it's still one of my favorite films to this day. Wes Anderson has released many movies in the decades since, and I've enjoyed them all. I'm a sucker for his films. One of the things that gets me every time is his use of sound in the films. And today, I'm lucky enough to talk to the supervising sound editors and re-recording mixers of many of his recent films, including his latest, The French Dispatch. Wayne Lemmer is joining us today. His past non-Wes Anderson movies include Deadpool, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Logan, and Hidden Figures. Welcome to the show, Wayne. Am I correct that this is your third Wes Anderson film that you've worked on? Uh, yes, it's the third one for sure, yeah. And what were those three? The French Dispatch? Uh, Grand Budapest Hotel and Isle of Dogs. Excellent. Those are all awesome movies. Also joining us is Chris Scarabosio. Listeners will know his work on a bunch of the recent Star Wars films, including Rogue One, which is a favorite of mine, as well as lots of animated films, including Pixar's latest Luca, The Croods, and Minions. He also works on the exact other end of the genre spectrum, having worked on Phantom Thread and Marriage Story. Chris, you seem to bounce around between re-recording mixers, sound designing, and supervising, sometimes all three. Do you prefer mixing something that you've been cutting or, or something that comes to you as more of a clean slate? I prefer mixing something that I've been working on. I mean, you, you know, over the years, one of the things, like early on, when you're doing your sound design, and you have a very specific idea of it, and then you kind of hand it over to the mixer and they start tearing it apart and it soon turns into something that you didn't want it to sound like. So I just decided that probably the best way for me to get my ideas across would be to just mix it myself. And Wayne, how do you feel about that? I've noticed on your IMDb list, you have uh, both credits as well. I prefer to kind of see the vision all the way through. Nice. So I don't know if you two know Bob Hine, but he was the sound supervisor on the Royal Tannenbaums, and he was a guest on our show many years ago. And I asked him about working on that film. And what he said was that Wes was was great. great. He knew exactly exactly what he wanted, and he asked for the whole universe. Wes wants everything imaginable at the mixing stage. And a lot of it he doesn't keep, but he knows what he wants to try. So he has a gigantic imagination, as we all know. He would spend all day with us at the mix. We'd listen to everything and decide yay or nay, you know, because there was a lot. And it's a simple, it's actually a simple film. And it didn't call for a lot of sound. So we chose carefully what to keep in it. All I know is we had a really good time. So that's what Bob Hines said. I was wondering if in the years since, is Wes's uh, process still the same? Do you still have to bring everything to the mix stage possible? Um, actually, it's a little bit different. Our workflow has evolved over the last couple of films. Now, basically, I'm in contact with them all the time. Uh, we kind of work in sections. We don't do the whole film. So like, I'll just work on a couple minutes section and I'll send him a quick time and he'll give me notes. And then, you know, we go from there. 
Um, so there's not a lot of surprises when we hit the dub stage anymore because we do so much work before that time. Kind of make a cursory pass. You know, Wes kind of digs in and we start kind of really getting into the finalization of it and trying trying various things. It's definitely a good experience. You know, it's always a fun, creative time there with Wes and he's very involved. You know, he's there until we're done and and we're just there all day, just kind of playing with stuff. And Yeah, I mean, Wes is, he's fully committed. You know, some mixes you go and directors come every once a week or maybe twice a week or whatever, but Wes is definitely, he's, he's all in and he definitely likes to, to play around on certain scenes and you know like Wayne was describing you know they they work a lot of stuff out in advance so it kind of you know music's kind of usually the last thing to show up that kind of can change how you know everything plays against each other so he does experiment a lot with the the music and the orchestration and it's certainly an explorative time for music I'm trying to remember on uh, not friendships, but there's been a couple times where the end credit music becomes like its own mix. In a way, it's kind of new, and he starts digging in. Like, I, what was it on uh, Grand Budapest? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them. He's kind of he just starts like diving into like, what if we try this and and try that? And, and I know we've spent days on the end credit music on a couple of the movies. It's just kind of funny, <laughs> but I think it's because it's kind of now that the main thing is done, um, you know, uh, let's have some fun and kind of get crazy and try, try as much as we can um, and kind of create its own little song, uh, its own tune, um, whatever that might be. He's got such a good ear. Um, he really does come up with something great at the end of the day. Let's talk about your both of your roles. You're both listed as sound supervisor and re-recording mixer. Who is tackling which food groups for this film? The French Dispatch. I usually handle most of the sound effects. Um, and then Chris concentrates on the dialogue and music. That's usually how we break it up. Like uh, on the French Dispatch, Chris cuts some sound effects and some sound design as well. But normally it's mostly... I'll concentrate mostly just on the effects and Chris handles the dialogue and music. So we have a good working relationship. I think we understand what he's looking for. And both Wayne and I have worked on various types of projects that um, inform our knowledge of the process. And you know, Wes is getting what he wants. And that's kind of ultimately what any director wants. They want to feel like, you know, they're doing service to their film. And, you know, they spend years of their lives working on these things. And the last thing you want to do when you get kind of to the final stages, which is when the sound is finalizing, you don't want to have a bunch of uh, question marks and you, you don't want any disappointment. Where did you mix the French Dispatch? Oh, we, we mixed it at Abbey Road. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that was kind of fun. And a newer room, neither of uh, Wayne or I had, had mixed there before. Kind of fun to be in the, the hollowed halls of, of Abbey Road. So when you go into a new room like that, obviously Abbey Road has a history unto itself, but when you're going to be doing something in a room you've never been in before, do you have any kind of protocol or something that you might play in the room to settle yourself into how that room sounds? Generally, we'll bring something that we're familiar with and, and just see how it translates. I think I brought uh, Deadpool to listen to at that time. Yeah, I think it would brought Deadpool. We might have brought another one of Wes's movies. Oh, yeah. I think we had Isla Dogs there as well. 
Yeah. 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 We had uh, that's right. Yeah. Just a couple minutes just to kind of see how it feels. That's all it really takes. It's mostly just a, a confidence check to make sure that the balance of the room is there and, and that we feel comfortable. The opening of Isle of Dogs has some taiko drums and I definitely wanted to listen to that sequence and because the low, low frequency and, and basically every room is, is pretty different. Um, that's the thing that always, the surrounds and, and low frequency for me always seems to be the, the things that, that kind of are the most different from room to room dialogue is either you know you're either within range or it's like something weird's going on for sure uh i think it's just the nature of low frequency and the size of the room you know you kind of get a sense of of how it's how, how the the low frequency is moving around in room do you work in lots of different rooms or is this an unusual thing for you to go to abbey road uh no i've mixed in a bunch of different rooms we've mixed in a couple of different places in in london three of the movies have been in different stages we mixed it delane lee we mixed it goldcrest uh i think goldcrest was booked at that point so we ended up at uh abbey road one thing that i found in the french dispatch and i guess a lot of other wes anderson films there is a lot of sequences that i don't know if montage is the right word but there's narration going on while tons of stuff is happening on screen and as well as the narration there's normally some kind of signature music but then you also have to find holes within all that to fit the sound effects for what is happening on the screen and i was wondering if you could kind of break down your approach on how you tackle what gets a sound effect what to push up what to pull down what to focus on the way we break it down on this one uh, on his movie specifically is we really try and focus in on on just those moments, you know, like uh, I think simplicity is better. So those moments shine, not so many layers, you know. Wes, like his visual style, I think his audio style has a has a kind of a rhythmic quality to it. I think there's a uh, kind of a propulsion with all the activity that's happening. There's like a pacing he does, especially with the voiceover work, where, you know, the voiceover kind of leads kind of hands off to either the music or the sound effects and he's building a montage of all these bits and pieces of, of between the sound effect and the dialogue and the music uh, that just it creates this tapestry that really makes in a very kind of immersive environment you know the element of, of kind of motion through through various sets it is kind of fun i, I just likes the way the atmospheres change, the reverbs change, the uh, the surfaces change, the, the storytelling. I, I, we just try try things, and sometimes it gets too chaotic, and sometimes you know we start playing around with you know maybe losing an instrument out of the out of the score, or delaying a line, or moving you know moving a line later or earlier, or moving a sound effect earlier. And it's kind of you just—it's kind of a feel thing, you know. Once once you get all the pieces in its right place, you kind of everybody kind of sign like, yeah, that's, that feels right. But there's a lot of uh, pre-production that goes into it, you know. He's very particular, and a lot of it, you know, you, you kind of plan it out, and then maybe maybe the score changes or maybe the effects change, and um, you know, you, you just kind of find out what feels right. How close to picture lock is the picture when you're getting it for those types of sequences? It kind of changes from time to time. Yeah, for sure. Like, 
I would say when we get close to the final mix, most sections are fairly close to being locked. You know, he has a pretty strong vision of what he wants. Um, but, you know, like as as we work on it, for sure, it, it, we do changes all the time. I start really early, I think, is because sometimes sections, he wants to make sure it works. And so he wants to have it all kind of complete before he makes the decision on the pacing and the rhythm of it all. So, yeah, I think it definitely decides some cuts for sure. You know. So in this film, The French Dispatch, it's kind of got a bit of a multimedia feel to it. There are whole sections that are animated. There are other sections that are shot in studio, other sections that are shot on location. There's also sequences that kind of are uh, claymation is not the right word, but use models. Do you approach these different sequences and sound differently or do you try and keep the sound consistent? Overall, we we definitely set out to make it kind of adhere to kind of like the old French cinema you know, so we really tried to create that atmosphere. And the animation, it's its kind of own unique animation. So it's not like fully fleshed out, you know, 30 frames per second motion. You know, a, there's kind of, it's, it's a little more stop action-ish, you know, so it's a little more interpretive, a little more impressionistic, the sound against picture. When I see those animatic sections, I definitely go at it a different way. I don't try and cover everything. I try and make it more specific and I guess cartoonish in a way, but not, not super cartoonish, but you know, in that more just hitting the moments kind of section. It's almost like those older films where, you know, you're, you're kind of missing some frames. It, it lends itself to not being as complete and a little less defined in a way. You hit the big moments that are kind of story points and then everything else, you kind of feel what it needs. The film is kind of broken up into three main parts with a couple other smaller parts in there too, I guess. But the, the I believe it's the second one, the part that takes place mostly in a prison, is narrated outside of the prison by someone giving an art lecture. That lecture is sometimes narration, sometimes it's PA in front of the art lecture. How did you navigate when to give that treatment and when to leave the narration kind of on its own? It's, it's kind of an aesthetic choice. There's the idea of when you're close to somebody that even though they're talking into a microphone, you're hearing their voice a little more per se than like the amplified PA part of the voice. So there's kind of stages of that. You know, once we kind of found the, the right room, the right space, it, it was kind of blending the whole room and the kind of PA aspect of it versus the actual voice. And it's, it, you know, part of it is, is what you're seeing on screen informs that decision. But sometimes there's kind of a comic element to it when she like dives down below the, the podium. Yeah. The podium. And, and you know, so it's like, it, it gives you an opportunity to kind of, play with that whole aspect that anyone has been in that situation or, or, or any kind of similar situation where it's just like, what is going on? And you kind of, anything that kind of create that, um, that feeling of like chaos is, uh, even though everything seems very controlled, there's a bit of chaos going on. Chris did a lot of great stuff. Like there's definitely a lot of different kind of perspectives and treatments on the vocals throughout. Um, he definitely changed it up like if we were on a close shot of her versus like if we we're in the audience. You know, there's a lot of really cool perspective shifts that he did with EQs and verbs and stuff. Thanks, Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> well, thank you very much for talking to us today. It's been great having you on. 
and uh, I look forward to uh, hearing what you guys are up to next. Are you working on the next Wes Anderson film? Uh, yeah, we're. I'm currently working on it right now. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I look forward to hearing it. Thank you very much. We'll talk sometime soon, hopefully. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Film Beggars is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. Are you looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? Tonebenders is part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org. Hey, everybody. I just want to tell you a quick story before we wrap up this episode. I mentioned in the opening intro about how I saw Rushmore at the Toronto Film Festival and fell in love with the film. The interesting thing about that screening was it was in a huge theater, like a thousands and thousands of seat theater called the Uptown, which has been torn down since then. This was one of the last years the festival ran at that theater. It's now some kind of giant condo, I'm sure. Anyway, it was a huge theater and it was a sold out performance and Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson did a Q&A afterwards. When they finished, everybody, you know, rolls out into the lobby and goes out. And when thousands of people were all going out, I had to get to another film. So I went out the fire escape behind the screen, which I wasn't supposed to do, but I wanted to get out of there quick. So I open the door, step out. There's no one in the back alleyway at all, except for one person who's leaning against the wall. And it's Steve Buscemi. He was just standing there. I'm not really sure why, but he looked at me and he said, do you know where you can get a good pizza around here? And I said, why, yes, I do. So I took him about two and a half, three blocks away to a really good pizza place called Amato's. And uh, we just chatted. We didn't, I didn't even really tell him that I was aware he was Steve Buscemi. Uh, we just kind of walked and talked and he asked me questions about Toronto. He hadn't shot a film there yet, but I think he was coming to shoot a film. Might have been Tree's Lounge, actually, the one he was directing. I can't remember the exact details because it was, you know, 25 years ago. The main thing we did was actually pick apart Rushmore. We both loved the film and we just kind of talked about uh, what our favorite parts were and how great the acting was and how great the script was. And he was a big fan of the movie, just like me. But it was the coolest thing to be just walking down the street, talking to Steve Buscemi as if we were old friends. It was this really interesting moment in my life. And it was a nice little coda to seeing this film, which is one of my favorite films. And Steve Buscemi's not even in that film, but I guess he was there to see it because he'd heard how great it was. But yeah, so that's the story of me uh, going out for pizza with Steve Buscemi. Anyway, stay tuned. We have some really interesting episodes coming up. We got a couple roundtables coming your way this month and uh, a bunch of other interesting films and TV shows that we're going to cover. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening to Tone Menders. On behalf of myself, Tim Muirhead, Chris Scarabasio, and Wayne Lemmer, thanks for listening.